morning, guys. What a great morning of worship, huh? Man, I hope you're glad you're here. I'm so glad. Man, they just did an incredible job. Uh, it's great to worship the Lord. Do me a favor, get your Bible out, okay? Turn with me to James chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 12, and uh, as you guys know, we're, we're meditating our way through James this summer, and that's kind of what we do every summer, man. We just pick a book of the Bible and kind of go through it verse by verse, and at Coastal, we want you to know the Word of God, and uh, I think we think it's our responsibility as pastors to preach. The Bible says, Paul actually challenges uh, the young pastors to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God, and so that's why we do that, so we're not skipping over the hard stuff, all right? A couple announcements. So get your note sheet out, take some notes. Um, get, you can take notes on the app, too, if you want to store it electronically, you can do that. And I want to do a couple quick announcements. Uh, first of all, uh, we have uh, training for production and sound. Man, we can always use people for production and sound. And, uh, and so if that interests you, just come on out to training, uh, 9 a.m., June 4th. Man, we would love for you to be here and, and get involved in that manner on Sunday morning. It's a huge, huge part of our ministry. And, uh, and so we would love for you to be involved. Secondly, we have our membership class coming up. It's our We Are Coastal class. That's on Saturday, uh, June 11th. It's from 5 to 8.30. And if you would register and let us know you're coming, that's a huge help. And here's why. We provide you dinner and we provide you child care. We want to make sure we have enough of both. So, uh, so come on out, man. Go through our We Are Coastal class. This is a great on-ramp. If you've been coming to Coastal for any length of time, you're like, man, how do I get involved? This is your on-ramp, Okay. And then the second thing, third thing, it kind of grows out of that. In June 26th, we have our family dedication. We're going to be doing baptism, Lord's Supper, uh, parent-child dedications. And so we do ask our parents that are doing their parent-child dedication to be members uh, of the church. And so you got to go through our way, our coastal class, to be a member. So uh, that's kind of one flows into the next. And so if you're interested, let us know. If you're already a member and you would like to be a part of parent-child dedication, let us know that. And then finally, uh, I want to talk about Gloucester. Uh, I've got some news today. It's all good because God is working it together for good. You feel like you're being set up? Yeah. So, uh, so first of all, um, uh, there, we're not going to do groundbreaking today. So if you were anticipating that, we've just had so much rain and our piece of property actually is an agricultural field. It's not like, there's not like weeds growing on it. It's just dirt. And so, uh, it's a mud pit, all right, and we just couldn't drive cars on it, and uh, and so what we'll do is we're going to target a ribbon cutting when the building's open, so you guys can all come to that if that's what you want to do. Uh, I know many of you have given generously to our building fund for this to happen, and so and so that's where we are, okay? Secondly, let me just kind of give you an overall Gloucester update. Secondly, our appraisal came in a little bit low, which means we as a church had bar- voted to borrow $2.2 million. We're not going to be able to borrow as much, okay? We're going to have to borrow about a half a million dollars less. Uh, so I look at that as both good and bad news. The bad news is, you know, we can borrow less. The good news is we have less debt. Um, uh, so we're going to have to use cash to build out the remaining portion of the building. Uh, but that always leaves us maybe in less of a cash position. So I just want to say, if you're a regular giver to Coastal, thank you. Like, that really, really helps us. If you'd like to help make up some of the difference, you can give to our building fund, and that helps make up the difference. And so, uh, so thank you for your regular donations. It is going to happen, uh, but it, you know, one of the things having a strong cash position as a church lets us do is it lets us jump on new opportunities that God may bring our way, right? And so we want to do that and be prepared for that. So, so it's going forward. And then the final thing I want to bring on Gloucester today 
we finally got VDOT approval. So praise God, it's been like a huge prayer request, and thank you to Adam and that team, Andrew Barons, the people that have been working on that behind the scenes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And so here's what that means. We can now submit our building plans to the county and, Lord willing, get stamped building plans, which then moves us forward with having all that we need to, to build the building and finalize our financing and all that. So we've all been kind of waiting on that. So thank you for your prayers. All of that is really good news. Let's jump in, okay? Let's jump in this morning. So... Um, <clears throat> I, uh, how many of you all enjoy working out? How many of you? I'll be honest. Yeah, that, you are crazy, okay? So I was working out yesterday, texting a friend. We were texting back and forth, and I was like, hey, uh, you know, I'm in the middle of a workout. And he's like, oh, that's awesome, man. Enjoy your workout. And I'm like, that's like an oxymoron, okay? I like eating ice cream with peanut butter, hence the workout, right? And, uh, and for me, I mean, honest to goodness, like, there's two really difficult pieces for working out. One is getting there uh, at the gym. Like, every morning, I'm, like, thinking of 15 excuses not to go, right? The whole way out the door in my mind, I'm arguing with myself. And then secondly, usually somewhere in the middle of the workout, when it starts to get difficult, uh, I start thinking of excuses to quit early, right? And so how many of y'all, that's your workout? Okay, that's mine too, all right? And so... It's just a battle of the mind to work out for me, and I always, like, look at the people that love it, and all of you, like, that's really cool. Uh, but today, like, uh, James is kind of challenging us, so uh, the first 18 verses, in my opinion, are all under the umbrella uh, of consider it all joy, my brothers, when you go through trials, various trials. Like, we go through trials, they're going to come, and, and it, life is difficult, and God gives us, by His grace and the Holy Spirit within us, the strength to persevere. And that really is this verse 12 this morning of James encouraging you and encouraging me as followers of Jesus that when trials come, like, to persevere through them, right? And to, and to continue to keep our eyes focused on Christ. And so James 1.12 says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under a trial. I, two weeks ago when I was preaching uh, here at Yorktown, I said to you guys, like, I am wowed when um, I look out in the audience and I know some of you and your story and the trials that you're going through and the fact that you continue to show up to corporate worship and praise the Lord in the middle of your trials, like, I'm wowed by you, and thank you for doing that, because it ministers to me, and it encourages me, knowing, man, when trials come my way, that the grace of God will be sufficient to get me through and to be steadfast. So blessed is the man who, and this is many of you in this room, who remains steadfast under a trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I want you to really kind of keep this verse in mind because I'm actually going to kind of end with this verse this morning. But the first thing I want you to see, I really think James, and this is language I use all the time, I think James is encouraging us, point number one, to be heavenly minded. What does he say? Like, keep your mind focused on the crown of life, right? We just sang this together. I don't know if you heard this and come to the altar. Bear your cross as you wait for your crown. Share the joy with others, the joy that you found. Like, 
We are to keep our mind's eye focused on the fact that our life is a temporary assignment. And even though it's difficult, it's only temporary. God is preparing a place for us forever and ever that's amazing. And we in this short season called life, we are to persevere with a heavenly mindset. And James says the person that does this, they're blessed this is the, the idea of blessed is this profound inner joy. I think sometimes we think of blessing as easy or, you know, rich or wealth, and it could be that to be sure, but it's more than that. It's, it's an inner joy as we go through difficulties. James says, let her be to be steadfast, to persevere. I'm going to tell you something. I, I think one of the surest evidences that you're a follower of Jesus is when you continue to persevere in your faith in the gospel when times get difficult. That is when you know that you know that you know that your heart is captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ. James says persevere. And then let her see when you've stood the test, you're going to be approved by the Lord, right? Just as our Savior had to bear the cross you know, so that it, for the joy, we talked about this two weeks ago, for the joy set before him, and letter D, we, James says, you will receive the crown of life. It's the idea of reward and honor. It closely, this verse actually closely resembles Revelation chapter 2, where, where John, through the revelation of Jesus, writes to some of the churches in Asia Minor and says, if you will endure to the end, you will receive the crown of life. We, church, are to live with eternity in view. Never, 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 it's, it's a really bad saying. It says they're so heavenly minded, they're, they're no earthly good. I would suggest to you, we are not as a people generally heavenly minded enough. We need to constantly be reminding our hearts that this life is a season. This life is short. This life is temporary. We are not to sink the roots and the hopes and the treasures of this life so deeply into our 70 or 80 years, we are to be reminding our hearts and minds that we have a heavenly home, that we are to be storing up treasures in heaven. James reminds us of this to be heavenly minded. Now, James kind of pivots here, all right? And uh, <clears throat> I probably could have put this verse, verse 12, with last week's sermon, okay? But now he pivots and he talks about, uh, he moves kind of from external trials to internal trials, the, the trial that we all face, uh, which is the human condition. It's the nature of our fallenness, and, and he pivots and he gives us some really, really good handles on, on how we can face and go through temptation, okay? And, and so number two, James says, we need to be careful and not blame the nature of our sin, right? That we have a sin nature, and na sin in and of itself loves to do or to play the blame game, right? And that's the natural nature of sin. So check this out in James 1.13. James writes, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So now James is pivoting, okay? 
And he's talking about the trial of temptation, that we have a sin nature that goes with us until we're glorified and our faith becomes sight when we get to heaven. And in this in-between time, we are going to wrestle, Romans chapter 7, if you want to read the Apostle Paul's own wrestle with his own sin nature, where he's like, I don't do the things I want to do, and I do the things I don't want to do. And, like, and then he kind of screams out at the end of Romans 7, like, who will deliver me from this body of death, right? Do you ever feel that way in your own struggle with sin? Like, man, when is this over, you know? And, and then he says, of course, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. But, but our sin nature uh, it, it naturally likes to blame. And we really like to blame God, actually. We, you know, we start sin blaming. Our finger usually gets pointed at God himself. And by the way, this is what makes the, the, the gospel message and its presentation of how we tell people what they need to do to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? A lot of times people say, well, you just need to, to believe in Jesus, right? How many of y'all have heard the gospel presented that way? Believe in Jesus. That's half true, right? Uh, it's not a full presentation. That's why I think when we present the gospel, it's essential that we tell people, you need to repent and believe in Jesus. Because if we leave repentance off, we leave off some really important truths of the Bible. Truths like God is holy, and as being holy, he's separated from sin, and he can't have sin in his presence. So we're really going to engage in a relationship with our creator. We need to acknowledge our real problem and our real problem is we're sinful and rebellious against our Creator, and we need Him. Repentance means a 180-degree turn. I need to turn from my nature and believe in the person and work of Jesus. Yes, indeed, believe in Jesus. And by the way, this, this blaming goes all the way back to Genesis. I, I was really reading as I was prepping for this this week, reading Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and it's just, just this beautiful stuff. I mean, just read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 today again, like... Or over the Memorial Day weekend, man, it would just really encourage your heart. But, you know, Adam gets a job, right? God actually gives him a job in the garden. Anybody remember what the job of Adam was? He was to name the animals, right? So he's, a, he's the first scientist, really. And, you know, he's doing good science, and he's naming the animals based on their characteristics and their traits, you know. And, and you know, just, I mean, he looked up in the sky, saw this majestic bird, he's like, eagle, right? Awesome, right? And... And then he, he starts naming all these birds, he's naming them based on their characteristics, and by the end of the day, he's probably super tired, God starts bringing them the insects, right? And they're flying around, finally he looks at the fly, and he's like, fly, I don't know, whatever, I'm so sick of this, you know, like, and he's doing that, right? And he gets done, and there's no one like him on all the earth, right? And, and, uh, and, and then God does something, it's not good that man should be alone, and God brings him what? A wife, a spouse, right? And what does he name her? Whoa, man, okay, like, this is awesome, and Genesis 2 ends with, they were naked and unashamed. I don't know what that means, but it sounds awesome, doesn't it? And, like, he was totally enjoying what God had done, and then sin enters the world, right? Through his wife, she eats the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and what's really fascinating is, I'm ready for a rabbit trail, I don't know if the other services will get this, but uh, well, as I was reading this this week, God told Adam about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He did not tell Eve. 
it was Adam's responsibility to disciple his wife and explain to her. And in fact, the rest of Scripture, Romans 5 and etc., where does the responsibility lie for sin entering the world? Does it lie with Eve? No, it rely, it's with Adam. He was to disciple his wife. And he didn't, he didn't protect his family. Man, it's your job to disciple your family. It doesn't mean you don't give authority and opportunity for your wife. My wife has done a big part of the discipleship of the children. But if it wasn't happening, God is going to hold me accountable over my family, right? It's your job, man, to be too many times in the home, man, that gets reversed. And it's your wife that's taking authority because you're not taking it. And I'm not talking about like being angry. I mean, I'm just talking about like you take seriously the spiritual nurturing of your family, right? So sin enters the world and God shows up. He doesn't go to Eve. He goes to Adam, right? And what does Adam do? This is fascinating, right? So in Genesis chapter 3, when God confronts Adam on the sin entering the world, Genesis 3, 2, Adam says this, the man said, think about two chapters earlier, I'll name her woman, they were naked and unashamed. This is awesome, right? One chapter later, the man said, well, it's the woman you, you gave to be with me. I was fine when it was me, the birds, and the flies, right? You, she shows up, and now sin enters the world. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Can you even, um, I mean, this is the first fight between husband and wife in history, right? Can you even imagine the conversation after that took place, right? Like, after weeks of the cold shoulder, right, Adam probably's like, honey, what's wrong? What do you mean, what's wrong? You threw me under the bus, right? Like, what are you talking about? Like, sin enters the world. Listen, our sin nature is that that we want to blame everybody else but ourselves. especially we love to blame our creator. God, it's your fault I made this way. God, it's God, 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 God. And James says, let no one blame God. And here's why. Let's go to point number three, all right? As we get kind of, and this is a really important point this morning. I'm going to really unpack how we can um, get handles around our own temptation in our hearts and our lives, okay? But God is not responsible for sin and evil, and here's why. So look at James chapter 1, verse 13 to 17. So let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. <clears throat> for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is, has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom... There is no variation or shadow due to change. So let me pull out a couple things I think are going to encourage you uh, in your own uh, battle of the trial of our sin nature, right? Our own temptations. So the first thing is, letter A, I want you to see the nature of evil. Evil uh, is the complete opposite of the nature of God. I tell you, I... I, I, um, one of the things that's made me a little a little sad this week, and I, and I get it, we want solutions. But as I've as I've watched the unfoldings in Texas, and we just 
like the Bible says there's just a time to grieve. Like I feel like we've jumped too quickly to try to find solutions for how do we protect our elementary schools. Like I, I, I think we just need to pause and go, hey, let's just, this is a horrible evil. And let's just grieve it, you know, and let's just, like, we can process it later, but man, like, it's just overwhelmingly sad, right? And, and let's just do that for a season, and then we can come back to, man, there probably are some solutions, but at the end of the day, the real solution to evil is the gospel of Christ. Like, it, it's almost impossible to stop unless Christ captures the heart of men and women and and because it's it's evil is totally against the character of our god and as christians once we and we're going to talk about this in a minute once we get this new nature our hearts by the power of the word of god and the spirit of god living in us now begins to beat for the character of god and part of growing as a christian is we we grow more and more to hate what god hates and love what God loves, right? So God hates sin, and he, he loves holiness and righteousness, and we begin to grow, hate those things, and grow in holiness and righteousness. And so the nature of evil is the opposite of the nature of God. Secondly, God's not responsible for them because of the nature of man, James 1.14. James says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires, the the word for Lord here, L-U-R-E-D, is the same word that we, you, you would use for, for baiting a fishing hook, okay? Uh, the way you might catch a fish and so, or catch prey. And so I've told you guys this before, I, uh, I love, I'm not much of an outdoorsman. Uh, so you guys are like, what do you like to do? I'm still trying to figure that out. I don't like to work out. I don't like to be an outdoorsman, you know. So, But I do like, oddly enough, my brother and I, once a year, I go to visit my brother in Baltimore, and I like to crab, okay? And my, my brother has like two crab lines, trout lines, and uh, I don't know how, they're probably each about 500 feet. And like every three to five feet, he's got bait on this trout line, okay? So, uh, and I don't know if, if, for those of you who like crabs, I don't know if you know this, like crabs, are total bottom of the sea scavengers, okay? They love decaying, rotting things. So the next time you're eating crabs, just have that in mind. Like this thing was probably eating decaying flesh, okay? So uh, that's what they do. And so, and so the way we bait them, my brother uses either bull lips, yes, bull lips, <laughs> or eel, okay? And the day before we go out crabbing, we have to get his crab line and we check all of the baits. And so every three feet, we are taking rotting flesh, taking that off and putting on a fresh bull lip. It's totally disgusting, okay? How many are like, man, that sounds great. I'd really like to do that one weekend, right? No, you probably wouldn't. So, and, But I love that because the idea is it's gross and smelly and disgusting, and James is reminding us that the nature of sin, it is a rotting temptation that leads to death. The next time you're tempted, I want you to think of rotting death because that's what sin leads to. I love what Proverbs says about sexual sin and sexual temptation. Proverbs chapter 7 verse 21 
in, in talking about the seduction of prostitution or, the, you know, nowadays we might even lean into the pornography, the seduction of pornography. It says, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. And then I love this kind of this picture of how we give in to our temptation to sexual sin. Verse 22, and all at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. I love this word picture. The next time temptation comes your way on a particular sin, I want you to think of a dumb old ox with its head down following the next dumb old ox right to the slaughterhouse. Because that's what sin is and does. We somehow, sometimes we we, as Christians even, we kind of playfully play with our sin. We don't really want to get rid of it. Because we forget that it leads to the house of death. Amen? Like, it's no trifling matter to to play around with sin. And James says this is the nature of man. In fact, our sin nature is so dangerous that we have to be leery of even trusting our own heart. One of the false narratives of the culture is like, you hear this all the time, trust your heart, follow your heart. That's a really dangerous thing to say to somebody. Because Jeremiah says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? There was a shooter that went into an elementary school this week trusting his heart, doing what his heart told him to do. Listen, we're, we're so messed up by sin that it's not our heart that we should trust. We need an outside resource that can light the path to holiness and righteousness. We, we need the word of God to light our path. And to define for us what is sinful and what is not sinful and what is holy and what is righteous. We we need instruction from an outside resource to avoid what the Bible calls shipwreck. We need to be in the word of God because our own nature left to ourselves is a nature that is in rebellion to God Almighty. If we just trust ourselves with no outside influence, man, that's big, big, big trouble. And I don't want you to be on that path to trouble. I don't want you to be like that dumb old ox to the slaughterhouse. I want you to be on the path to light. James says that God's not the author of sin and evil also because of our own nature, the nature of our lust. Let her see. James goes on to say, then desire... When it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. This, this, this next section here gives us this incredible picture of what to look for in our lives and how 
temptation leads to sin. I really like this passage of Scripture because I think there is a built-in opportunity, a, a, a breaker, if you will, to keep us from sinning. I don't think temptation is the same as sin. So when the desire comes in, there's a period between desire and sin that we can break in and keep from sinning. And James tells us this, right? We have to beware, number one, of like this desire. When we start having a sinful desire, one of the language that we use around Coastal as we're training our staff, we say this all the time, tell on yourself before your sin tells on you. Because number, the book of Numbers says, be sure your sins will find you out. And so that what, what shows us maturity in leadership around here is if you tell on your sin first, right? Before it conceives and gives birth to sin and death. So I think the idea of desire is the idea of emotion, right? This, this thing comes into your mind and you just go, man, I just want this. And the idea of sin is pleasant for a moment, Hebrews 11 says. Desire, when that desire comes in, it has no ability to consider the long-term consequences of a particular action. This is why I often talk about, I talked about this two weeks ago, like, Delayed gratification is a big part of holiness and righteousness, right? Doing things God's way is very often delaying the immediate gratification and saying God's will and God's word and God's ways, he's got something better for me than this momentary pleasure of sin. James goes on to say, so first comes desire, then comes deception. He says, don't be deceived, brothers, Right? Our minds, we begin to deceive ourselves. Here's how you deceive yourself when temptation comes. Well, I know better than God. You're deceiving yourself. Right? We've, got a, we've got a culture right now that's telling you that, that love is love. Listen, you can love whoever you want. You cannot have sex with whoever you want. Because God has defined for us what he gave us sex, and then he defined how it works best. Everything outside of how God has defined it for us is sinful and harmful to us. We deceive ourselves about the consequence of sin. We think it really won't have a consequence. All sin has consequence. And it indeed leads to death. And so there's there, there's desire, a desire comes into our minds, a thought comes into our minds, and then we deceive ourselves thinking we know better than God and this sin won't have any consequences. And then we design, number three, we design a plan. And he says when you, sin is conceived, the idea is a plan. You begin to formulate a plan in your head. We start thinking about it. How am I going to execute this sinful desire? What is the time? What is the place? And, I, and I, here's what I want to encourage you. Here is that moment that we can inbreak and, and break the cycle of sin. He, he, here's that moment, 2 Corinthians 10, 
The Apostle Paul says, we take every thought captive and we run it through Christ. Actually, the beginning of that verse, he actually says, we pull down strongholds. Some of you, you have a, a, a sinful, spiritual stronghold in your life, and you're, you're waiting for this spiritual aha moment to deliver you from this thing, and I want to encourage you, the way that it happens is in the very next line of 2 Corinthians 10, you take your thoughts captive and you run them through Christ and his word and say, man, what I'm thinking right now, is it holy and righteous and good for me? And the answer is, if it's against God's word, no, it's the pathway to death. And so we have this moment like, hey, I'm thinking this, I'm feeling this, but the Bible says what I'm thinking and feeling is sinful. And so Paul says in Romans 12, like, be transformed by the renewing of your what? Anybody know? Your mind. Like the, the battle's in the mind for sin, right? And so how are we transformed by the renewing of our mind? We got to know God's word and we got to be in God's word. We have to have community. Paul says in Philippians 4, set your mind on things that are excellent and praiseworthy and good. So when that temptation comes in and you're now conceiving your plan of how you're going to execute this sinful desire, you can break in and say, you know what? What does God say about this? You can break in and bring in community. Get a, an accountability partner and call them up and say, man, I'm thinking about giving into this addiction or the sin pattern that I have. I need you to help me. Great. Let me pray with you on the phone. You know, shut the laptop, walk away, open the word of God, get up, change your position, but break in as you're conceiving the plan. The primacy of the mind in defeating sin and temptation. And then James says, and then, once you can see the plan, number four, it leads to disobedience, right? Sin gives birth, get, this, this whole plan gives birth to sin where we do what we want, when we want, the way we want. It's the opposite of God's will, the opposite of God's ways, the opposite of God's timing. And all of this leads to sin and death. And God, James says, God is not responsible for sin and evil because the nature of evil, the nature of man, and the nature of lust. Which, by the way, as of unpacking this, if we're all honest, we all go, yep, that's exactly what I do. Right? So we can stop blaming God. That's God's fault. No, no, it's right, it's in here, man. It's this broken, sinful nature that I need help with. God's not responsible to let her do because of the nature of God. Verse 17, right? Every good gift, James says. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Here's what James is saying. God is good. God does good. His nature is good. His nature does not allow for sin and evil, or he would cease to be God. God is not the author of sin. He is perfect. He is the Father of lights. That's the idea of purity. All good things come from the Lord. So, so I've painted the, the dark picture, right? James has painted the dark picture. So what's our hope if we're going to overcome the trials of temptation, right? This, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you go through various trials. One of the trials we go through is temptation of our own sin, right? And so what's our hope? Number four, we need a new nature, okay? And the theological word for this is the word regeneration, right? We need a new birth. In our hearts, in our nature, the nature of mankind is sinful. And so James says this, and so James 1.18, so as he goes through this, this temptation and sin, James 
James writes, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So in other words, as Christians, God in his grace has given us a new nature. And we're, he kind of uses the metaphor of first fruits. You know what first fruits is? Like when you plant a plant, a fruit tree or something, there's that early, you know, usually like if you have a apple tree, right? And it's got all these apples on it, but the first fruit is that one that comes off like two weeks early, right? And you get to eat it right away. Like, oh, first fruit, this is awesome. Look at all these other ones that are about to come. And so he's kind of using it as a metaphor as Christians, like we're kind of the first fruits of the great things that God is doing, right? This new nature that he's given us. And so what is a new nature? We, we, we need to be regenerated. We need to have a new nature given to us. And James is really clear what this, how this happens, right? He said, letter A, who does the regeneration? generation. How does it happen? It's God and his will, James says. Of his own will, he brought us forth, right? This is the, the mysterious and incomprehensible doctrine of election that God, before the foundation of the world, chose in Christ who would be given the new nature. Some of you are like, can you explain that further? No, that's all I got for you, all right? It's a mystery to me, but it's God who does it. It's God who gives us a new nature, and what is, what is regeneration? It's a new nature. It's, it's, it's this nature of God being implanted into our soul that's brought forth by God's choosing that we, we see the kingdom of God. Remember a couple weeks ago, I was using an illustration of my glasses, how I can't see, you know. And then when you become a Christian, it's like you put on these new glasses and suddenly you see the world different, right? And how many of you go, man, I've experienced that, right? It's John chapter 3. I love John chapter 3, this guy named Nicodemus. Nick comes, he's a, he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night trying to understand the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus in John chapter 3 says, Nick, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Like, new nature, right? And so once you're born again, like, the new nature, the kingdom of God glasses comes on, you're like, whoa, I see the world totally different, right? And, and so what is it? It's seeing the kingdom of God by the mercy and love and grace of God. And how does this happen? James is very clear. How does, how does the new nature come about? It's brought forth by the word of God, right? That the word of God is taught and preached and, and in that, by the Spirit of God, the Word of God does this supernatural work of regenerating, right? So it's really, really important that you're submitting your life to the Word of God. Listen, we don't come to church as a checkbox. Now, God's happy with me. No, we, we go to a church that opens the Word of God and says, thus saith the Lord, and we submit ourselves to the word of God so that it transforms our hearts and regenerates us and gives us a new nature. One of the reasons I want to encourage you to invite your neighbors and your friends to a local church is as lost people here, the word of God, the spirit of God does really amazing things. How many times have you brought a neighbor to church and Sean's preaching on something that's super uncomfortable? Like, I can't believe he's talking about that this week. Can I just say, I don't care, because the Word of God does what the Word of God will do, amen? Like, our culture desperately needs the Word of God. I don't care what portion of Scripture it is. Like, we need the Word of God, and we need to hear it, and we need to be transformed by it. We shouldn't sugarcoat it, because it's powerful to regenerate. That's what James says. It's got our, 
How, how are we regenerated? They're brought forth by the word of God. By the way, this is why I get passionate about preaching, about planting gospel-centered communities called churches and campuses all across our community. So that the, in church life, we're planning all in Gloucester and in Chesapeake now and in Hampton. And you guys know this, like I'm praying for Williamsburg. We had a, I had a meeting this week with our deacons and elders. I do it twice a year where I just kind of share some extra, not, nothing you guys don't know, but vision and unpack a little more detail, the vision and things that were happening. And this came out of my mouth and it was like this aha moment. I said, guys, just continue to pray about Williamsburg. Like we have the people there. We, we, have this, we, we think we're staffed up for it. We're ready. I said, you know what? The only thing we're lacking to plan a church in Williamsburg, a campus in Williamsburg is money. That kind of caught me off guard. Like, wait a minute. Wait. We're the, we're the, I don't know about coastal, but uh, the American church, we're the wealthiest church on the planet. Amen? Like, how are we not accomplishing this? Like, man, like God, we, we need to bring the word of God to people. We need to take the word of God through the preaching of churches and uh, here on the peninsula and all around the world so that the word of God will have its full effect of changing people and causing them to see their sin and their need for saving. And we get to point them to the only one who can save them, the person and work of Jesus. All the stuff we just sang about. We had an awesome song set this morning and we worship the Lord and there's only only like 250 people here. This place needs to be filled because indeed the whole world needs to know about Jesus. He is indeed the hope of the world. Amen? Man, like I'm just sorry. All right, let's go. What does Paul say in Romans 10? He says this about the preaching of the word of God. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Okay, so he says, listen, they, they can't know Jesus without faith, right? And how are they to believe in him if they haven't heard of him? And how are they going to hear about him without someone what, church? Preaching. And how are they going to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, by the way, I, I, I believe the book of Romans, which is the most theological book in the New Testament, is actually a fundraising letter. Paul finishes it with saying, hey, I'm coming through. When I do, I'm going to raise support. You guys need to send me. It's a fundraising letter. Because he says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I want to go bring the good news. Listen, God invites us to be a part of this incredible miracle of regeneration. How does he do that? By the great fulfilling the great commission. How come when we become a Christian, God doesn't just take us to heaven? So that all our trials are over. So the battle with temptation is over. Because you, as a Christian, the hope of mankind is in you as you leave this building and you take Christ and his word out into the community, as the word is preached and the Holy Spirit uses the word of God as a means of grace to rescue men and women from darkness and give them the new nature, this new nature that loves God and loves the gospel and loves righteousness and endeavors to live in holiness and righteousness as a reflection of their creator. You are a part of that. Isn't that cool? Listen, uh, this is the old preacher story. You guys have heard this a million times, but I, I just think it's a really valuable story for us to remember, right? You've heard the story of um, the storm that blows all the starfish up on the shore, right? Have you heard that story? So the storm comes in, blows all these starfish on the story, and this old guy gets up in the morning, sees all the starfish on the beach. 
And starfish, if they're not in the water, they're going to, as the sun comes up, they're going to die. It's going to basically cook them. And so he notices down the other end of the beach, this little boy. And this little boy comes up and takes a starfish and he throws it into the ocean. Here's this whole beach of starfish. And he picks another one up and he does it. And so this old, old guy's kind of sipping his coffee from his beach house. He's watching this happen. And about 30 minutes in, this kid has hardly made but a few feet of distance down this beach. He picks him up and throws him in. So finally, the old guy goes down, and he goes, son, look up. And he looks up, and he says, you see all these starfish? You think, you, you think before the sun comes up, you're going to make a difference? And the little boy picks bends over, and he picks up a starfish, and he throws it in the ocean, and he says, I made a difference to that one. Amen. Listen, we are invited tomorrow to make a difference, and on Tuesday to make a difference, and on Wednesday to make a difference. The God, you got the God of the universe, he lives inside of you by the power of the Spirit. The Word's transforming you and giving you his nature as you grow in holiness and righteousness. And now we have a mission. We get to go out these doors and we get to make a difference to that one. So how about if tomorrow we go, God, who is it that you want me to make a difference? Who can I talk to about Jesus? Maybe it's a kid. Maybe it's a grandkid. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a, it's a roommate. I don't know. But man, what if we had the eyes to say, God... I'm going to make a difference to that one. And so this morning we're going to close with singing. And we sang at the beginning, come to the altar. And I want, I want to repeat what we sang this morning because it really is James chapter 1 that we looked at this morning. We're going to sing this song. Bear your cross. That was verse 12. Endure temptation, persevere, bear your cross as you wait for your crown. Be heavenly minded. And tell the world of the treasure you found. Made a difference to that one, right? And let's be the church and say, God, use me to make a difference tomorrow. Amen, church? All right, listen, I want to invite the, wor- the prayer team up, worship team, come on out. Prayer team, if you need prayer this week and you just need somebody to make a difference in your life to pray with you, man, they are here to pray with you. Don't leave without prayer. And let's go out and be the church that God uses us by his grace and mercy to present the incredible message of the gospel of Jesus to the waiting and watching world. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, thank you for your word. God, it's amazing. You use it to transform the world. How how are they going to hear unless we go on mission? Say, God, use me to make a difference to that one. You've placed me. You haven't taken me home yet. I've got a part to play in the, this incredible message of the gospel of Jesus. We're not here just to vacation and all that's great. And we're thankful for the many, many blessings you've given us, God. But you, you've made us here to present the gospel of Jesus to a watching, needy, waiting world. So help us to leave here today on purpose. The incredible mission you've given us. To tell the world the hope that we found. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's go out singing this morning. Let's stand and sing.